You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. All right, well, welcome back. Chapter four, I think, is a pretty important chapter. It's a long one, so maybe we'll only try to get through half of it. Um, maybe through page 68, I think we could really spend some time maybe next week looking at some of his examples. So we'll see kind of how it goes. We can certainly get into that if we move quickly, but I don't want to rush this part because I do think this is where the rubber starts to meet the road and um, where it might be helpful for us to share some stories in terms of like things we've added to our conscience or removed, like it might be that might be helpful to actually kind of dig into some of the practical. So let's, uh, let's just focus in on 55 through 68 um, with an eye kind of towards next week, um, hitting a lot of this kind of ground level practical stuff and responding to what he says and then sharing some of our, our own uh, experiences. So with that, let me open us just in prayer and then, um, and then let's, uh, let's have a conversation. So God, thank you for this day, this Lord's Day, and the chance to gather together. Pray for Justin as he brings us brings us the word today from Psalm 41. Just pray that we would be encouraged, that we would hear your voice uh, through Justin. We pray for all the different elements of the service, that as we sing, our, our hearts and our minds and our eyes would be lifted to you. And, and uh, Lord, as uh, during the prayers and just all the different aspects, scripture readings, Lord, that we would just have a sense of, of your presence um, and your, um, your favor upon us because of Christ. Lord, I pray that, uh, that sin would become less alluring and you would become more attractive to us. I pray, Lord, as we have uh, different people here, some people we haven't seen maybe in a little bit and some we've never met before that will be joining us today. Lord, I just pray that there would be opportunity uh, to engage them and to uh, make them feel welcome and that they would connect with us and us with them and that we might um, be an encouragement to them. And uh, Lord, we just ask that you would guide this particular discussion on the conscience. Lord, we want to live as faithfully as possible uh, with you. And, and yet we uh, struggle and we don't always see things rightly. and We don't always judge rightly. And so we ask for your help uh, to understand ourselves better, how you've made us in your image to know you, and how to understand our neighbor and our fellow church member and those people we're praying that would come to face in Christ, Lord, I just pray that this uh, discussion would sharpen our understanding of who they are and how they work and, and what is the right way to bring uh, the gospel and its implications to bear on our lives and on our life together as a church and on those who don't, don't yet know you, uh, Lord. So uh, we, we want to be pleasing to you. We want to bring glory to you. And we pray that this discussion would be a small step in that direction. Uh, so guide us uh, this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, how should you calibrate your conscience? So what, what comes to your mind when you hear the word calibrate? Is that, a, is that a term that you're familiar with? Is that a helpful term for you? When you think of calibrate, what comes to your mind when you think of calibrate? definition of setting an instrument or something to a standard and uh, and then clearly later go into making sure that the standard you're calibrating to is the correct standard yep that's good he, he did do a good job in the chapter of 
were you going to say something? Yeah, Micah used to have a blood sugar monitor sensor thing um, that you had to calibrate. So as soon as you put it in, you'd have to do a finger stick for to get a blood sugar reading and then enter that into his pump to calibrate it so that they um, had the right number. And sometimes it would be way off and then you'd have to recalibrate. And so, I mean, that's something we did a lot with that old sensor. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you'd be treating him based on a wrong number and it would be the wrong treatment, so. Yep, that's a good example. I think it's a good analogy because um, your conscience is supposed to somehow be tuned to something outside of you. Uh, it's not the, the thing in and of itself that you're judged by, but the thing that you're kind of using to help judge yourself based on <clears throat> something beyond you. You know, so like he gives the example of the, if the police officer pulls you over because your speedometer is not rightly calibrated, you can't say, well, my speedometer said 40 officer, you know, he's not going to say, oh, well, that's fine then, you know, because 80 miles per hour stands outside of what your speedometer actually says. Um, so I think it's a very helpful um, analogy for thinking about the conscience and what we should be trying to do with it. I agree, Justin. This new kind of uh, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth movement goes right along with that speedometer argument. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we live. <laughs> we we live with uh, objective standards in every other area of our life, but we don't really want it there. You know, <laughs> we have to. You have to function uh, in the world, and so. 80 miles an hour is not up for debate. It's or 40 miles an hour, I guess was the, I think what he said, but yeah, that's a, that's a real actual metric. And so the, the Luther example is, uh, I've always found kind of fascinating. I've thought about that a lot. So, you know, he was writing a lot of things that were challenging the Catholic church and they, um, um, basically had like a, an official hearing and were, were basically going to bully, bully him into uh, to recanting what he had said. And he certainly was facing potential death and execution like they would have if he hadn't escaped. But, you know, he has like a couple, he has a day, I think, if I remember right, Justin, he has a day to kind of think things over and really, really wrestles with what he should do because he doesn't want to divide the church. He has a high regard for the church and its authority and yet he's just persuaded that this is true Christianity. And so he comes and has that famous statement that he will not recant um, and that unless he's persuaded by, is it listed here? Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils for they have contradicted each other. My conscience, it's interesting that he goes, to the conscience. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me, amen. Mm -hmm. So, his conscience was a key factor. <laughs> it's kind of interesting to think the Reformation kind of hanging by a, on, a, on the conscience of one man. Um, 
Now there were certainly other reformations kind of happening, but it's just, uh, it's amazing that conscience was kind of at the center there. What is that? What are your, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, Justin, maybe you have some thoughts there as someone who's spent a lot of time thinking about the reformation. How does that strike you there? His statement. Uh, that's a good question. Or anybody. I would say it's just interesting on Friday night, actually, we were talking to my friend who's just converted to Catholicism. Yeah. And as we were reading the book plot yesterday, I was like, I wonder, yeah, I wonder how Catholics think about conscience because like, basically she was like, she's kind of struggling with this. Like, I need to believe this, but how do I just make myself believe it? Because that's what they say if I'm not actually convinced yet. Uh, and like, but you have, but the authority is so strong that there isn't like, I don't know what the sense of like an individual Christian's conscience really is. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of interesting. And, and to see that in the Reformation being a significant thing for yeah. like, they didn't really care about, they weren't like, oh, you shouldn't sin against your conscience. They were like. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a number of things that are tied up in it. Um, one is the, uh, What's the, what is the nature of authority? You know, like, you know, obviously in one sense, like the United States government can't just be like, well, whatever one else feels is right and wrong. You know, that's what we're, that's how we'll do it. We'll treat each person according to their conscience, you know. Uh, so I think one of the key things is that Luther's conscience, he, he's tuning his conscience, not according to whatever he wants, but to an authority higher than the church. Um, and that was a big problem because in the Middle Ages, they had come to hold church unity by everyone submitting to the church authority rather than the potential uh, different interpretations of scripture. So, I mean, you still see challenges along those lines today. You know, different Protestants, there's not like one Protestant denomination um, because there are different interpretations of scripture. Um, but nonetheless, it's based on the idea that the conscience is captive to a higher authority than the church, I think, is kind of crucial. It's not like Luther is just like, this is what I feel today. Uh, and the church can, you know, lump it. So uh, he wasn't going for relativism, though that's kind of what a lot of people thought he was doing. Yeah. I think that his two statements there, that the two ways to persuade him, so his... He is speaking about his conscience being persuadable. Um, and so the conscience isn't a fixed thing, and we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, but he's going to go with his conscience unless someone can inform his conscience by the word of God or by plain reason, which, which is good. That's what we're going to get into later. So Luther, you know, um, in that sense, you know, there are sometimes other factors or things we know that aren't specifically said in Scripture that do inform our consciences. And he'll give examples of that later um, on a number of issues. Um, but it's, uh, it's kind of fascinating that this statement, just this statement of Luther was so, such a, such a, a good comprehensive summary on <laughs> the conscience. And how it works and what it means on the ground level when your life's hanging in the balance. He's going with his conscience 
because he thinks his conscience is aligned with the word of God. And to go against conscience is neither right nor safe, especially if you think it's right, which we'll get to a little bit later. But, um, you know, it, it kind of summarizes this whole book pretty well. In I don't know if he intended to do that, but. Luther or the authors? Luther. Yeah, he had this book in mind. Yeah. So I was just fascinated that in kind of four sentences he could, you know, sort of indirectly, that's not his point is to teach on conscience, but yeah. I think it gives us a lot of really good instruction of like, how does, how does a faithful Christian stand with conviction and grace against, you know, against all odds, almost entirely on his own. And, you know, a good relationship with your conscience and the word of God and clear thinking was uh, what kind of held him firm. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So 57, should you listen to your conscience? Krista, any thoughts here? If not, that's okay. It's just easier, I think, if I direct some questions. Yeah. I have a handful of things underlined. Um, so on the bottom of 57, it says, our ability to sense our own guilt is a tremendous gift from God. Um, he designed us to be able to um, for the conscious conscience in the framework of our human soul so then it it's, it's a gift of God to be able to even just know when we are sinning and through our conscience we were able to do that um, and then I really liked the in the middle of 58 it says how do we avoid a, a callous conscience the way to keep the conscience conscience tender writes Jonathan Edwards is to utmost is to the utmost to resist resist sin. So it's like a it's a we don't want to just ignore our conscience so much that we don't even listen to it. Um, and the more we resist sin, and the more we're we understand sin, and we understand like what that looks like, the more we can like. I don't know, actively, can actively calibrate our conscience. Because um, if we just ignore it all the time, then we're just, we're going to, we're going to sin more because we're not even aware of what it feels like to sin if we're not being aware of that. Yeah. But it has to be like connected to the Lord to listen for like, yeah. Mm. I like this. I kind of skipped over the story. Um, but that was a good um, personification of the conscience. Like it told the guy to pull up, um, the pilot to pull up on the plane because he was going to run into a, a mountain, I think it was. Um, but because he thought he knew more than the, the system, he he just thought it was malfunctioning. So he just got mad and turned it off. But in reality, he, he actually knew less than what he thought he did. 
So right. it's good, good to like actively listen to our conscience and do all that. Yeah, there's a lot of good metaphors and illustrations in this chapter that I think are very helpful. Mm -hmm. I thought the, I don't know which section this is, but the Mark Dever quote, I think it was Mark Dever, about mm -hmm. how the conscience can make something that isn't sin into sin, but it can't make something that is sin not into sin, into mm -hmm. not sin or whatever. I thought that was a really helpful just way to think about it. Mm -hmm. Like if you really think something is wrong and you do it anyway, even if it isn't objectively wrong, it is wrong when you do that. Like you actually are sinning. Uh, but that doesn't mean that if your conscience is like, oh, it's fine to do this, that it's not sin anymore if, if it is objectively sinful. Um, I just thought that was a helpful way mm -hmm. to think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Jesus kind of gets to that a little bit too, not when he says, you know, um, if you have anger in your heart, you're guilty of murder. So the intentions, mm -hmm. not just the acts, can be sinful. And so you could do, you could even do something that's not inherently sinful itself, but the heart posture and position, you know, and if it, if you feel it's wrong, sense it's wrong, like are, are convinced in your own like conscience that it's wrong, and then you, you violate that standard, you're, you're actively rebelling, <laughs> whether it's, you know, whether that actual act is prohibited in scripture, the disposition of your heart is, uh, is what scripture's uh, most um, concerned with. Mm -hmm. um, I was thinking too about how like, posing it in the terms of not just an obedience or but a protection of our own souls, like, how quickly you can start not mm -hmm. listening conscience or deliberately rejecting it and then all of a sudden you're not doing that anymore you just all of a sudden your conscience is all messed up and you don't even realize it's wrong anymore and how um i don't know i think i was thinking about like if you told when he was talking about sexual immorality if you told a young woman um don't have sex before marriage because it will ruin your reputation versus explaining like the christian theme of if you your, it's destruction to your own soul and to the other person. That there's such a difference in how somebody's going to react. I feel like, mm -hmm. and just understanding that I think would help a lot mm -hmm. of. <laughs> right. Right. Which is why you know calibrating the conscience is so important, is because it is so tied to the heart, and we want the heart, not just the external behavior. So, yeah. to bully people, to violate their consciences in order to try to get a certain behavioral response backfires big time um and to only get the uh to only get the behavioral and you were talking about this to only get the behavioral compliance without the heart change is just legalism you know like no we which is why we, i think we want to be patient with one another as we calibrate our consciences is because we want to be internally convinced from the heart of what's right and wrong not just our behavior is a byproduct of our internal, you know, our internal workings of heart and conscience and mind. And so, um, yeah, so I think that's a important to remember. Mm -hmm. um, MacArthur at the bottom of 57, I highlighted this. He says, the wisdom of our age says guilty feelings are nearly always erroneous or hurtful. Therefore, we should switch them off. So 
the check engine light comes on and we should just, you know, cover it up. The conscience is generally seen by the modern world as a defect that robs people of their self-esteem. Far from being a defect or a disorder, however, our ability to sense our own guilt is a tremendous gift from God, which somebody already said. He designed the conscience into the very framework of the human soul. It is the automatic warning system that tells us pull up, pull up before we crash and burn. And that's exactly right as we... Um, The, the sense of ever feeling bad or guilty is is something we should try to switch off as opposed to heed, you know, and so he gives that. So, Jamie, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say I'd, I had highlighted that also, and it's like going back to how do you calibrate your conscience and should you listen to your conscience? Um, I guess if you're a truly informed Christian and you're using the standard of the word of god the bible you sh definitely should listen to your conscience because if you don't have the word that's our christian standard that's our manual that we go by but other people other i guess he says on 58 misinformed conscience that would be non-believers set their own standard and they don't have they don't have the word of god or they're not using the word of god as their standard Right. So, uh, how reliable is your conscience? Any highlights from this section? What do you? What are your thoughts there? Sorry, what was the question again? How reliable is your conscience? Yeah, it's on 59. Just Okay, yeah, we forgot our book, so I'm... I think they, they started the chapter, or this section, talking about, of course, no one's conscience is in line with the will of God perfectly. Impossible to ever happen, but trying to calibrate with Scripture, not listening to worldly influences and being in a church discussion like this, trying to guide through elders and, and people with wisdom is how to get your conscience closer to the will of God. Yeah, I really liked um, the paragraph in the middle of 60. It says, um, as a general rule, you should assume that your conscience, conscience is reliable, even if it isn't perfect. And since our conscience is usually right the bible says that we should we should do what our conscience says until we are convinced in scripture that it needs adjusting so doing what you feel like your conscience is telling you but being willing to to calibrate it and change it according to scripture and according to um elders and the people in your church that are guiding you to see it as a good thing and really be in tune with it and then but also be willing to, to change it when it when scripture convinces you otherwise. I think that goes with the next page where they talk about your conscience is not identical to the voice of God. The voice in your head is not necessarily what God would say. And then it kind of talks about the strong and the weak um, from Paul. And so I think it's just the emphasis there was that the strong conscience or the right conscience, or I don't know how you would word it, 
um, is the one that's most theologically sound is kind of what I took from that. Mm -hmm. So sometimes depending on how you're interpreting things, um, it goes to talk about how some, some standards change based on where you are and what that applies to your culture as well. So kind of talks about having to use your culture when it talks later about like men in jeans, for example. So anyways, there's a lot that goes into that. Yeah, he says in the bottom of 59, he says, interesting, we believe that you should generally always follow, follow your conscience. And then he kind of makes fun of himself there. Yes, <laughs> that's the general ruler rule. I think it's highly dependent on how your conscience is calibrated and what you're using for your standard. Obviously, Christians, the word of God is the standard. So we should, yeah, as Christians, we should always generally listen to our conscience because it's probably usually right if you're using the Bible as your standard. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're not a Christian, that's not always true. That definitely isn't true. It's, it's all dependent on how your conscience is calibrated. Yeah. I kind of wonder actually, with regards to the Christian versus non-Christian, because he talks about subtracting and adding. I wonder if they would say, or uh, what you guys think, if you think that essentially based on like Romans one, <laughs> the Christian conscience is actually reliable in a lot of things. Like if their conscience gets them, it's often right, but there's a lot of things they're just numb to because they've been subtracting. Um, so would you say that a non-Christian's conscience is, is good if it's firing? If it's not firing though, it doesn't say one way or the other. I don't know. That's just uh... yeah. I think the non-Christian conscience is generally at the whims of society and, and what's considered taboo and not at that time, that culture, that era. Um, you know, I think maybe forty years ago, the non-Christian conscience would say that you know homosexual marriage is taboo and not allowed. And now, 35 years later, that non-Christian conscience would say it's fine. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, that's good, yeah. Because there's no concrete foundation for that conscience. It's nothing, there's no concrete yeah. thing that lasted for 3,000 years. It's just ultimately changing, adding and subtracting all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Subtracting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know anybody that's like homosexual or anything, but I'd be interested to know their thoughts on conscience also. And if they're like feeling like, I don't know, that human law of nature, that kind of that, uh, C.S. Lewis talks about, like, do they feel that in their conscience that what they are doing is wrong? Because that's what I always am wondering. Um, like they're in the closet, they call it um, in the closet, and then they come out the closet. Why were you in the closet in the first place? Like, obviously, something was telling you it was wrong. Maybe it's cultural, and it's just everybody <clears throat> believes it's wrong. And, but you come out the closet, you're obviously coming out of the closet because something in you is telling you that what you're doing is wrong. 
they're not using the same standard as a lot of people. There's a there's a, a cliche or maxim or whatever you want to call it that um, we don't change until the pain of change is less than the pain of change staying the same. <laughs> the human beings don't generally change and, and so um, yeah, so whatever is to the cultural benefit and whatever it is that I desire then becomes the, the, uh, the, the guider of my, um, of my conscience. Um, so like if I want to do something, uh, but I think it's wrong, you know, when it gets to a certain point, like, then I'll just go ahead and change my conscience or find reasons, um, to justify the decision I'm making, or there's also can be external pressure. So I think there's, you know, I might decide something's wrong that wasn't wrong that I didn't think was wrong before or vice versa based on how much pain is involved, you know? So, um, and, uh, I don't know. So that might play a factor in there too. Is just like, I'm starting to pay a price for what I think. And so maybe I'm going to change what I think as opposed to, you know, without an objective standard to base that on, your conscience will just will pick the path of least resistance. You know, whatever lets me want, lets me do what I want, and doesn't have a social cost to it. Uh, that's where I'm going to go. Yeah, yeah. So he starts off the chapter with that, right? With a number of questions, kind of like, um, if this happens, uh, you know, I. Um, we'll get you shorts. Like, if you yeah. preach against this or that, you know, you might end up in prison. Um, does that change it, you know, um, or how are you going to respond to those kind of situations? And I do think that uh, as Christians, we have to think through those kind of things, like what's really tuning our conscience. Is it our social group, our culture? Or, um, so. Right. I think when you're talking about like how we start to justify things, that would be a good signal to us to say, hmm, if I'm trying to find all these reasons to justify, then maybe that's a signal that something's a little off of my conscience. Yeah, yeah. Right. And if the reasons are not biblically sound reasons, then that should be a... And I think that's where a Christian community is, because we, we have a high capacity to, to deceive ourselves, even as Christians. Yeah. And... Um, um, and none of us likes being corrected or being told we're wrong. And so, so we're going to find ways to, to uh, justify what we want to do or what we already do. And yeah. our, community, our, our community does shape us. And so whatever community we're in is going to shape us. So it's just, you know. Be addressed, little boy, right now. Josh, when we started and you had our meetings and went through all the <clears throat> doctrine and made sure that we were all in the same line of the doctrine that we believe in is so important for that reason. Yeah. When I was, uh, I, was I was actively trying to uh, calibrate all of our consciences. <laughs> yeah. um, and we'll see over time, over time we'll see how uh, how accurately we are, but hopefully the regular preaching of God's word, the regular you know, the regular sharp, ironing, sharpening, ironing, or iron, sharpening, iron. Um, we'll just get sharper and sharper, hopefully, over time. And we may make some corrections. There may be some things we 
yeah. we're over are overly strict on or 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 that we're under uh, under uh, I don't know what the word is under strict on yeah. I do think that there's uh, like you're saying um, I think Melissa and Josh just about how you start to justify what you maybe start wanting to believe um, I can I when I was doing campus ministry, there was this guy, great guy, really liked him. And then he suddenly disappeared from like Bible studies and all sorts of stuff. And he was, I found out later he was really depressed, but it was partially because he was undergoing a change in his conscience and in his beliefs. Because he'd been struggling with same-sex attraction and got to a place where he wanted to embrace it. So what he did was he withdrew from the people that could help him. Uh, think it through and just started to think it through himself and he came out to the conclusion that Paul for example was limited by his Jewish culture um, so he you know made scripture not transcendent or authoritative it was just a Jewish guy's view um, though he still thought a lot of the Bible was God's word because he didn't want to let go of Christ or Christianity he wanted both so he had to neutralize certain parts of scripture and hold on to others, um, but he also withdrew from from kind of Christian fellowship, um, and uh, so that he wouldn't have people that could kind of help him work through it, because um, he already knew what they believed. And I do think that one of the things that's important is that we don't sort of hide our consciences. I think is another thing just from even chapter two, which is we are con called to confess our sin. You know, like. Uh, and not keep it hidden um, either you know to God or some you know we even want to be open with brothers and sisters and so I think that those are things that help us kind of keep honest and keep in the clear we're gonna go guys because we gotta head over to the journey yeah we probably should stop we all have things to do so yeah um, We'll see you in a little bit. We're kind of an abrupt stop, but we'll pick it up right there next week. So, all right, see you guys. Yes. Bye. <laughs>